On this week's General Admission, we are very excited to bring you the latest installment of our GA Roadmap series. Friend of the pod, Nick Parco, joins us to share his love for The National as he walks us through his favorite songs and stories to see if he can convert us to fans. Okay, let's do it. Okay, we now welcome on longtime friend of the pod, recurring guest, one of our favorites. He is not here to talk about Weezer. He is Nick Parco. He had a secret meeting in his brain, and he decided to come on GA to do a roadmap for the National. And this will be one of the more roadmappy roadmaps we've ever done, because it is the first band that Brett and I come into on this, not really knowing anything at all. So he's got his work cut out for him. Nick, welcome back. It's good to see you. How you doing? It's good to see you guys too. Thanks for having me back. It's a good day. Anytime you're on the podcast. I'm just, I'm sorry. We're not talking about Weezer. I know it's breaking your heart. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I left my elf ears at the, at my house. You left them at the Shire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't it like the one year anniversary of uh, the first EP, the spring EP? Yeah, because that coincides with this podcast since it pretty much started the same week or so. But yes, I digress. We're not here to talk about Rivers. We're here to talk about the National. Nick, what? how long have you been listening to this band? How much do you like this band? What? What's kind of your relationship with them before we get into our side. I would say I've liked them. Um, Brett knows this about me because I've known Brett for a really long time, like 20 years at this point. I get into bands late. I always have. I don't know what it is. I just did. Not for any particular reason. But I got into them right after I graduated college. So about 2012, 2013. While they, they, at that point, they were already like super established and like indie rock darlings um it was literally just like the spotify algorithm caught me and i heard one of their songs and i liked it so i kept listening to them uh then nothing more romantic than that it was literally like i'm listening to spotify probably if i remember what i was listening to at that time it was probably like arcade fire or a band like an indie rock staple like that gaslight maybe what's that Gaslight, maybe I know, like we'll kind of talk about that as we go, but I feel like there's some Brian Fallon here that could have led to that. What would 2012 be? Would that be like handwritten or, or handwritten? Yeah, that's likely. That's yeah. likely. Um, but yeah, so no cool story about me uh seeing them in a basement or like <laughs> being on a forum. Like, no, it was just Spotify. I was like, you'll probably like this, and yeah, they were right. Uh, the first song I heard from them. Which makes sense because it is their probably their most famous song was Fake Empire off a of boxer. Um, since then, they're probably my most listened to band and they're probably my, my favorite band of the past 12 years of my life. So we're definitely going to have a much different conversation than the ones we've had about Weezer. <laughs> wow. So you've been... you. Picked them up quick and you stuck with them. What, what is it about them? I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to this throughout the whole thing, but like if you were to do like 
an elevator pitch like what draw drew you to this band that made you like them so much um it's weird and other national fans will tell you this especially ones that and i'm by no means a master musician but they have a really really good drummer and their drums are always really unorthodox that's what grabbed me first when i started to dive deep um i would say in addition to matt berninger's voice who has that classic like indie rock baritone um kind of like the guy from interpol paul banks like that deep almost talky but he is singing kind of voice those are the two things that drew me right away to them um on top of that aaron and bryce desner are both really really great guitarists and just song composers in general um and you add it all together and it's like the perfect mix for me yeah that that was what what drew me to them from in the past you know week of listening leading up to this is they incorporate like a ton of instruments which is probably what i i like best about them especially on the earlier stuff they do yeah on i guess alligator is probably what i became the most familiar with and then i listened through the playlist you sent us which we're going to get to but it's kind of since alligator i'm I'm not comparing them to radiohead because they're not radiohead nobody's radiohead but you could tell chronologically which is kind of how i'm going to lay this map out is chronologically mostly since you guys aren't that familiar with them. I think it makes the most sense. Um, but they kind of go with the times. Like you could hear them embracing, not like technology, like, okay, computer level shit, but like you could hear them changing as a band as the years go on. Like Alligator does not sound like what the National currently sounds like. Interesting. I found a new background for anyone watching on YouTube. At the so gorge, like, huh? I think it's the Gorge. Looks like the gorge. It's definitely not Red Rocks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, what well, how was your week listening to the national or few days? So I'd say it was pretty good. Like there's definitely some songs that got their claws in me so far. Uh like the more I listen to it, the more I seem to like get attached to certain songs, which we'll get into as we go through this list. But I I did text Parco ahead of time a little bit and you Nick at the same time, the same thing about one of their later albums asking if I'm supposed to be kind of driven to that one the most compared to what we've listened to so far, but it doesn't really sound like there is a right or wrong answer there, but I know we'll get to that album later on the list, but I don't know. I just, there's so much, so much going on with this band that I like, and it's like very unique compared to what I usually listen to. I feel like they're definitely a band that I have pushed at you for years at this. You point. have, so I'm glad that uh, we're officially you're being forced now to listen to them <laughs> in my presence, nonetheless. The great thing. and there have, well, I guess we can probably get into it soon, but I do have very strong thoughts about the first track. Let me but let we, me get can... the playlist. Okay, all right. And spoiler, I think you pick like the perfect intro song for someone trying to get into them. Sorry if I no, jumped no, ahead. It's, fine. And it's funny because I guess I'll get into a little bit of the history. So since you guys aren't absolute like psycho nerds for this band like I am, just some basic info is um, they're, they got together in Brooklyn, but most of them are from Ohio, which you they talk about Ohio in a couple of their songs. Um, the band is Matt Berniger on vocals. And then the rest of the band is two pairs of brothers, which I've always found interesting. Uh, twin brothers... Aaron and Bryce Desner. Aaron Desner, who you might have heard is Taylor Swift's latest producer. 
the produce folklore in Evermore. Um, and the other two brothers are the rhythm section, the bass and drums are Scott and Brian Devendorf. Uh, like halfway through the life of the band, Matt Berninger's wife started writing with him. So you do hear like the lyrics, I think, do get better once she joins the band, which we'll talk about when we get to that point in history. Um, but yeah, it's two pairs of brothers and then the singer is the makeup of the band. That's really cool. I love that two brothers are drum and bass because they got to be locked in. So they're probably extra locked in. Yeah. And the twins both play guitar slash keyboard, but they're basically like, as you guys have, have probably discovered in your brief listening, like I wouldn't even say it's rhythm and lead. They kind of like alternate lead at the same time. Almost it's, um, I wouldn't call either of them a rhythm guitarist. Interesting. I, know, I feel like we'll, we'll get to it, but I feel like they really got to shine. Like as the band went on, like with, I feel like the 20, I, I can just say the album name. It's a uh, sleep with sleep. Well, beast. I feel like was like at least based on the two tracks you picked out. Like, I feel like those are the most guitar driven tracks. So I feel like, I don't know if it was like a choice to, go in the direction of a guitar driven album later on i know i'm skipping I would say again, those but... are those happen to be uh, on on the the roadmap two of like the more riff based songs out of all of them because usually like i was saying usually it's a lot of bass and drums and then matt berninger's vocals and then the guitars appear at some point those are two songs they're usually settled yeah yeah um, they're not like the center focal point it felt like a lot yeah they'd have like uh, a cool does he did they finger pick at all because some of them sounded like they were kind of for sure yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i've seen them a bunch of times they they're not always using guitar picks that's cool yeah because it's like repetitive almost like like a dream state the guitar and then like there's a bunch of other cool shit going on like cello and violins and yeah yeah the early stuff they um Going back to Arcade Fire, that they never had like 30 people on stage with them the way Arcade Fire used to tour back in the day. But they, yeah, they were way more than just like a four-piece indie rock band on the first two albums, at least. Um, getting into the roadmap, I, I chose to disregard the self-titled, their first album. One, I don't think it's that good. And two, like the band actively like never talks about it and never touches any of those songs from their wow. first album. So I literally wrote down for our purposes, let's let's pretend this doesn't exist just like the band because <laughs> the band really never touches any of these songs. That's funny. I, I put that on last week. It's like, let me start with at the beginning and it's self-titled. And it's like, oh man, like this is kind of boring. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then everything else you sent, I liked a lot. But the, uh, the first album yeah. didn't, really hit for me but it sounds well, like it didn't one hit for that disclaimer either. yeah before we dive into this which I, I guess i can get into as i get more into the history of the band as the albums are released is they are a part of a quote-unquote scene like the new york city early 2000s rock scene um which is why i feel like it's better to start with the second and third albums which you could tell they sound like interpol and the yeah yeahs and um TV on the radio and and all those like early two thousand Brooklyn bands that were on MTV non MTV two nonstop and and really blew up. Uh, are, do you guys like that scene generally? Like the the me, me in the bathroom scene. I was going to ask if they were in that book, 
but like I like the strokes from there. Like briefly, yeah. they're 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 mentioned. A few. Mostly the strokes. So like yeah, yes. I I feel like we like Nick when we talked about that last year. I feel like we liked that new album that came out, but I didn't really go back and explore their older stuff. Like yeah, I always got annoyed so... when Maps would come on MTV and would change the channel, so I never really gave it a chance. <laughs> but I feel like now I'd probably like it. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in the same boat, Brett. I think is kind of like the strokes come to mind the most i think fish has covered tv on the radio if, if i'm not mistaken so like it's kind of cool shout out to them maybe uh i would like them i don't know that doesn't always mean i'd like a band but they sound nothing like fish so i'm gonna guess <laughs> no. i'm i'm serious i really think they they covered them though um but no i'm sure they yeah. covered them but in general oh, yeah yeah i wouldn't base your opinion of tv on the radio off of fish covering them yeah uh, so do, do you guys, I know this is like the fourth time I mentioned them. Do you guys like Interpol? Like, I don't know them that well either. Like I've listened to, what's the album with the red on the cover? Turn on the bright lights. Turn on the bright lights. I've listened to that like once or twice. But then have back to it. So it's, right. if it's, I were listening to it now, it'd be like listening to it brand new. I would say they are associated most out of every band from the scene they came from with interpol they shared a producer at some point and they shared the same rehearsal space um their singers sound the same kind of right yeah 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 uh the the bass isn't as good in the national as it is in interpol um but as two people who i know you're you're coming in kind of uh bright-eyed and not knowing that much i was hoping you'd be familiar with interpol because it would be a little bit i feel like it would be an easier sell but i'm here to sell them anyway You'd probably need to be sold on Interpol too at this rate. <laughs> it's good we started a podcast, Brett, when we have the exact same music taste. It really I know, right? helps us get variety <laughs> in on this thing. That's why Parker. There's here. some differences. Yeah, yeah. You lean. Yeah, every other roadmap I've listened to, the most recent one I listened to that you guys did was, was Silverstein, a band that I'm not that familiar with. Um, but when I was listening, I was like. Oh, they know a lot about Silverstein. Like, I wonder if they know this much about the National. <laughs> but it, like, deep down, nope. I was like, oh, me and Brett would have talked about the National for years if I knew. Yeah. He <laughs> like, I feel like if you listen to the Bayside one, like that one, we were pretty much spectators. Like, we didn't really know much about the band. We knew like some songs, but we, we didn't know backstory or yeah, many albums. I'd yeah, say I chose Silverstein because I, I don't like Bayside. <laughs> <laughs> You don't like great guitar riffs? That's a shame. <laughs> I've accidentally seen Bayside more than I've accidentally dude, seen any of in my life. Dude, um, I'm with you on that. It's probably because of all the Taking Back Sunday shows. Yep. Yeah. A, a brand yeah. new Dave Hawes. I've seen them. Yeah, I've seen yeah. them over a ton of people. Yeah, I think Bayside and Five Finger Death Punch are the bands I've unintentionally seen the most. Because anytime yeah, I went to like that, them. like disturbed world, it was just always Five Finger Death Punch. I'm like, please stop making me listen. I to saw Bayside open for Gaslight Anthem at least like four times, like at Gaslight's height. They're just like friends with everyone in that scene, yeah. Because they're they're playing on the Bouncing Souls Still show too, yeah. And now I live like twenty minutes from Bayside. <laughs> wow, <laughs> still don't like them then. <laughs> All right, the National. Where where are we starting? All right, we're gonna like I said, we're gonna completely bypass 2001's self-titled to jump into "Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers." Um, the song is available 
I believe it's the first song on the album. So in my head, I like to picture it as the introduction of the band because everyone forgets about the first album. Um, you get a taste of something that, as you're going to see in these early songs, has a lot of Matt Berninger growling and and yelling, but like a melodic yelling, basically. Um, and this is not screamo. This is just like straight up indie rock. But as the years go on, they kind of shy away from that. Uh, like their current stuff, Matt Berninger does not sing like that. So knowing both of your tastes and that you do like demo and screamo and all that kind of stuff, I figured we started out with one of their earlier loud songs. Yeah, you hit us with this one. I'm like, all right, I'm in after like track one. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like the strokes minus like the guitars, like his like the way he sang was like very similar, like the strokes at that time. Like I know mm-hmm. obviously his voice changes on like the next two, well not changes, but like the way he delivers the lyrics, I would say. Is that accurate? Def- he definitely hasn't found himself vocally on okay. security lovers. All right. You want to, we'll pause it up and we'll listen for a little bit and then we'll, we'll resume. Let's do it. Okay. That was really enjoyable i loved the guitars and the yelling so you nailed it and the gentle outro kind of come back down yeah yeah i uh i thought it would be after looking at there's a handful of songs that i do like on this um i would say my obsession and most national fans obsession begins with the next album through basically present day so sad songs for dirty lovers it's not like a unskippable album. Like the, I, I, I pick and choose when I listen to this album. But knowing you guys and what we've talked about, I, I felt like this would be the one to kind of get you on board early before we start making left and right turns because not everything of theirs sounds like this. <laughs> so some like of their live staples off this. Like are before there we move on to the next album? This. Um. I've never seen them play. I've seen them five times and I, they've maybe played available. That would be that or murder me. Rachel would be the only two songs. They probably touch present day from this album. Is that a friend's reference? Yes, it definitely is. It's written from from Ross's perspective. Yeah. (laughs) It's a, it's a concept album based on the nineties sitcom friends. Nailed it. (laughs) 90s yeah 90s yeah so what's with the hello my name is paul thing because that's on every song not even ever not even one album every single song on spotify has oh i can't even show it because it, it's like a, a, a background no, I, I know what you're talking about it's uh, um so they have a new album coming out in two weeks or a week and the album's called First Two Pages of Frankenstein. Don't ask me about it. I have no idea the, the reasoning behind that ridiculous album name. <laughs> um, but when the first time they teased it, they teased it with that photo. Um, uh, and it's now put it as a background for every single song in their catalog on Spotify. But um, back to available, just before yeah. we jump ahead. Um, I chose it because the yelling at the end, it, to me is the best part of the song like that that last minute minute and a half of the song and it's something that becomes a staple of the nationals to me better songs is that they make you wait almost as long as possible for the chorus 
It's something they do. They really perfect it in 2013 with Trouble Will Find Me. But you you hear it here. You hear it more on Alligator. They kind of go away from it for Boxer. But everything since Boxer is they get in this groove. And I blame the Desner brothers for being just really, really great song composers. Like they literally compose Broadway stuff sometimes. That's how like their music theory like savants. Um but this is a first taste of like they the song's good, good, it's growing, it's growing, and they make you wait for it, and then they kind of unleash it. And I feel like this is the best early example of that in their catalog. So they're like an indie tool, like <laughs> minus the 13-minute songs. <laughs> There's all about the build. That, that's the probably build and release. Is that what you've called me in your head for the year? <laughs> trying to get national is indie tool. <laughs> 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 I'm probably going to piss off so many people by asking <laughs> Nick, you know who else likes the tease choruses? The, the Bayside, Weezer. Weezer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the, the yelling in this gave me Isaac Brock vibes from Modest Mouse. Ooh, and he, I get ooh, that in yeah. a lot of the, the yelling. Like, uh, where is it? Um, I think it's called Abel on alligator when he's like yelling my mind's not right i actually thought that was isaac brock for like a minute i had to check genius to like see if he was featured because that yelling yeah the matt berninger yelling is in line with i wouldn't even say that like isaac brock freaking out is how i describe it because i wouldn't even (laughs) say brock does his yelling but uh yeah yeah that's a really solid comparison that I, I haven't mentioned yet. I'm kind of stuck on the Interpol thing and the Julian Casablancas thing, but Isaac is definitely thing. Yeah. But yeah, Brock is Isaac Brock is a very good comparison. Um they're just <laughs> the national's not nearly as wordy as Monus Mouse, but they're they have similarities. I mean I, I think they're two of the more endearing indie bands from this time era in present day. I can see that. Brett's just trying to see how fast he can get you to hang up this call. <laughs> I think is his goal. <laughs> yeah, we talk about modest miles. I'll, I'll be here all night because they're another one of my very favorite bands. Yeah, they're, too, I think they're a band. I feel like no matter how much I listen, I never know enough about. Like they just have so much to them, which is kind of kind of nice. They have pull out such random things live too. Yeah, all those B sides they have. Yeah, like those you, random compilation albums they have. Yeah. Wait, Nick, you went to the Lonesome Crowded West store, right? Uh, I did because okay. uh, yeah, we, the, as the, the National is my favorite band and my wife's favorite band is Modest Mouse. So okay. when that happened, she was like, we have to go to this. Yeah. Even though at Terminal 5, we went. <laughs> no one likes Terminal 5. I went to the worst venues around there. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I don't. It's been a while, but I just remember like a big room with a few extra levels. And like a single file exit for fifteen hundred people. <laughs> I guess I forgot about that part. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So where where are we going next? All right. Let me let me pull up this roadmap. Um. Okay. So I don't want to pick. Uh, just just for for the people at home, I made a fifteen song roadmap, and I don't expect people, including Nick and Brett, to listen to all fifteen of these right now. Um, I did. But so I, I have some options here on on uh, left and right turns and and yield signs and other road metaphors we could make. 
I would say let's listen to, but we're going to go to Alligator, which is the next album. Um, I would say let's listen to Mr. November next. All right. We just got carried in the arms of cheerleaders. We're back. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was Mission November, which is about Brett's favorite shortstop of all time, Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees. Not John Kerry. <laughs> no, <laughs> or is that like a fake Wikipedia pack? <laughs> no, unfortunately, you're right. It's not about uh, my favorite shortstop of all time, even though I know you're a Mets fan, which is why I had to make that dig. Uh, yes, it is about John Kerry and what is that, the 04 presidential election? I think so, yeah. Hence the, the Great White Hope um, repeating part of it. And it is not the first time that the National is going to dive into politics. Um, when we get the Boxer, there's... Uh, I'll save the, the actual political talk for Boxer. But yes, this was partially about John Kerry, partially just about... Um, like the Bush administration and all that fun stuff that we probably don't want to dive into on a music podcast. <laughs> nah, but I chose this one because of the other songs that I had listed. And um, by the way, Alligators, I go back and forth. Alligator might be my favorite album of theirs. It's I go back and forth between Alligator and, and Boxer. But I chose this because you guys like the yelling so much. And I would say this is probably the best yelling y'all find on any release of theirs um towards the end of this the i won't fuck us over i miss you the energy was awesome and i noticed the drums i didn't like pay attention a whole lot to the drums my first way through and i'm kind of upset i didn't but at the end they were doing like this like drum roll thing and then it'd fade out and come back and it 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 was definitely really cool i've always been drawn to the drumming because he doesn't use cymbals like listen for in this song he does but for the rest of these songs pay attention like you you picture a guy drumming behind a drum kit and his hands crossed and using the hi-hat that's just not how they operate as a band which i think is nuts and the fact that they pull that off that's fascinating is yeah it's fascinating i I agree but i chose this because I, i i knew you guys would appreciate the yelling um also just like the there's some finger picking going on like nick hinted at earlier in the in the uh in the verses and it's just the energy in this one this is a real fan favorite they play this at probably every not every single concert but this is a live staple of sorts um and i knew you guys would like the energy this would fit like well in like a best of playlist of like final tracks i feel like this is such a great song like end the album on they're pretty good at openers and closers at picking both both like bookends, so to speak. It, it, now, go ahead. It, just, it seems like they're very like careful with like their instrumentation. Like nothing, no one instrument seems like it's like dominating any part of the song, but they're all kind of like fitting together nicely and creating this like big soundscape without yeah Only one thing doing it it's really cool and i i think we chalked that up to to aaron and bryce desner being like like i think they they i don't know what colleges they went to but like they they're music majors like they might have went to berkeley like they just know how to compose and, and build songs from from a music perspective the way this band operates is they'll make a song music wise 
and they'll show it to Matt Berninger, who will then write around it. Um, so it, it, as much as I say it's a five piece, like the music itself begins with, with the Desner Brothers. Um, and before we leave Alligator, just to catch you guys up on what's going on with the band at this point. So the first two albums don't really move the needle much in America. But like most great American bands, people in Europe start listening to the national. Um, like they they're getting a little bit of of coverage in like Pitchfork and other hoity-toity like early 2000s magazines. But uh, with Alligator, they actually like move the needle and people in America start knowing who they are. And that's partially because of how great of an album it is, but also partially because other bands in New York are like absolutely blowing up worldwide at this point, like the Strokes. Um, so around Alligator, they tour with a band called Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. Have either of you heard of that band? I don't think so. No. So they're they're a similar sounding indie band. I off the top of my head, I, I think they're from the Midwest. I don't know where they're from, but they have one really popular song called "The Skin of My Yellow Country Teeth," and the National books "Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah" to open for them on the Alligator tour. And that clap your hands, say yeah, song gets really, really big, bigger than any national song. And it gets to the point where in the middle of this tour for Alligator, people are leaving after clap your hands, say yeah, go on. So the national, despite getting a lot of praise for this album on like smaller indie blogs, not like huge websites they kind of enter boxer on a crossroad because they just experienced like what every band would never want to experience where your opener is way more successful than you are at this point. It's funny because no one knows who that band is now. And the national is like the preeminent American indie rock band. I would argue granted I'm biased because I love them, but there's not many bigger indie rock bands right now in 2023 than the national. They've been doing it for 20 some odd years. But at this point, heading into Boxer, it's it's like the story Springsteen tells where he's like he was obsessing over Born to Run because he knew it was that or he was going to basically have to stop making music. And the National was at a similar crossroads after Alligator because they had all just quit their day jobs because they finally got a record deal. But then they get usurped by their opener and they enter the studio being like, well, we're never doing that again. So we're either going to make it with this next album or we're going to stop doing this, Um, which is what makes Boxer such a special album. From the band's perspective, they all say it's it's what changed everything. And as a fan who knows their discography really well, it's the one that pulled me in was a song from Boxer. And it's still my favorite release of theirs. And I would say it's most like 85% of national diehards would probably say this is their favorite album, Boxer. So prior to Boxer, they were more international than the national? <laughs> they, yeah, they were. Um, I actually read this great book on Boxer. Have, are you guys familiar with the 33 and the third book series? I've heard they're very good, but I haven't read one yet. I know there's okay. like a ton of them out there. Right? How long were you waiting to make that joke? A long time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the second I heard they were bigger overseas. 
so 33 and a half is, is this book series um where where writers just like dive in and basically get the oral history of an album i'm pretty sure there's an elliot smith one um the, the only one i've Bowie ones hmm? there's like a couple like bowie ones i think yeah but but it, it's for like it's for bands that people know but not like they're not doing like a 33 and a third on like led zeppelin yeah and and they did one on uh, that i think it came out earlier last year on boxer and I read it, and that's where I pulled most of that information I just told you from. So I just wanted to, to cite that properly. Oh, it's really those cool. like they're like not that long either, right? Aren't they like a hundred pages? Uh, I'm gonna be a nerd. I have the boxer one right in front of me. There you go. Oh, nice. And it is, uh, yeah, I read it on a flight. Actually, most of it. It's 170 pages. Oh wow, that's really cool. I got it. I never it heard of that. A, it does a really, really good job of of setting the stage post alligator of kind of where they're at as a band um and and kind of how unhappy they were going into the recording of boxer and to kind of make matters worse they enter boxer um at at this point like all the new york bands around them are really rich really successful the strokes are playing madison square garden things like that uh they actually right before boxer leading leading up into hitting the studio to make boxer which is recorded um in upstate new york they're actually sharing or they're not sharing but they're in the same building as interpol in the same rehearsal space and like every day they're seeing like spin magazine and all these other huge magazines go and interview interpol and take photos of interpol for magazine covers while they're trying to hash out songs for boxer going into the studio so just like as an and that's after the alligator tour where the band that opened for them wound up being a bigger sell than them so they have a chip on their shoulder a lot of shit going on heading into boxer they got something to prove yeah which is and they get into this in the book which is why it's called boxer um because you know getting in a ring kind of yep and and you know getting kicked when you're down and not giving up and it's it, it's that's aged really well as an as an album probably better than first two pages of Frankenstein is gonna age. So you have... I haven't listened to those singles yet, so I have no idea what the new music sounds like. But I know we'll get to that at the end. But uh, we're gonna have to. Hit, uh, there's a stop sign on the roadmap right now. We're gonna have to pause that while we while we handle boxer. All right. So you have. Three songs from Boxer on the playlist. Which one are you are you leaning towards right now? Um, I am gonna say because it's their most famous song and it's the next one that has serious political ties. We should start with Fake Empire. Um, and and I'd say it's also one that people probably may have heard offhand and don't know it's the national. Huh. All right, let's do it. Drums. A lot of instruments. That's why I've been liking this band. The horns at the end were very nice. The horns are great. The intro piano is really, really pulls you in, um, which is at this point in their career, like a first almost, I would say. They're not very piano heavy, and piano is not the major part of really any section of their songs, not until you get in later into the 2010s um 
But what did you guys think? Did you like Fake Empire? That was like another one that like what's another great example of the build? Like it starts at the piano yeah. and then it ends in a place where you're not expecting. Like I felt like the drums kind of reminded me of like Sunday, Bloody Sunday. A little bit like the way that it's played. Is that fair? Like with the the, the symbols, kinda, yeah. With minus the symbols, yeah. Yeah. Uh no, I, I yes, I, I hear that that comparison. I think this their songs definitely like reward you for sticking around because it's not like I, I wasn't enjoying the beginning, but the piano and the vocals are really it. And then you're like, all right, this is fine if this is the song. And then it just gradually builds and gradually builds until you're, you don't even know that you're in like a much like higher place song wise, which is pretty cool. Definitely a slow burn. Another great opener of theirs. I think it's a hell of a way to open an album. Um, which I'm like, let me double check. It does open. Yeah, it opens Boxer. Um, I personally love the piano part because, Nick, I know you play guitar. I feel like it has the, the rhythm almost of a finger-picking pattern, this opening piano melody. Yeah, I can see that. It's very, it's like three or four notes just kind of repeating. It's just carrying the song. Yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is another live staple. This is one they play... I would say almost every night. Um, and I, I'm glad I, I feel like we're we're on a good road here because this is for sure a little bit more mellow, which is not a word I'd use to describe most of their songs. But I would say it's a little bit more mellow than the other songs I've showed you so far. There's no screaming or huge release in this song the way there is in the earlier ones. So that makes me happy that you guys like this one because it, it is different than the other stuff I've I've showed you so far. And then what's the political story surrounding this one? I know you mentioned it was a really good one. So Fake Empire was featured in one of Barack Obama's political campaign ads. Basically the one that is the, the video ad that is most connected to the famous Barack Obama, like change and hope poster that I'm sure you guys remember from when we were in high school or whenever Barack Obama was president. But so, and that, that was not even intentional. It was like someone in his campaign either knew or was friends with the band, but the band did not push to be included in this, despite writing about another Democrat on about Alex, John Kerry. Yeah, but so this finds its way into that ad. Um, and I guess Barack Obama and his people liked it a lot, people in his camp, because on election night, like, an hour after the votes are called and he has the enough electoral votes to become president, that famous scene of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and their two daughters giving that speech at Grant Park in Chicago, they walked out on stage to fake empire in front of Whoa. like a quarter of a million people in that park in Chicago. I did um, not know that. It is tied to like a very iconic moment in American wow. political history, or at least modern political history. Um, Suck it, clap your hands. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like <laughs> they, they waited long enough. And like that, that was a huge moment for them. It's talked about in that 33 and a third book um, at length on how much of a game changer that was, like the amount of famous musicians who witnessed that and then like reached out to the national and, friends and and it 
it just was a real pick me up for them at that point. Um, and after that, like the the album charted better. Like it, it really was a game changer. It was a knockout. It was a haymaker. Yeah. <laughs> wow, and that's two thousand seven ish. So, like, are people still buying songs on iTunes at that point? Because that song probably yeah. got bought a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, I didn't even think of that in today's you could, shoot. Could still make money off a single song at that point in time. But uh, yeah, isn't that an insane story on, on them writing about a Democratic loser earlier in their career, <laughs> and then not writing about him? But this kind of became the song in a way. Not that I was super into politics when I was 17 or when, however old I was when this came out, but this kind of becomes like this song is attached to the Obama campaign his in, in his first election. I did hear there's a shirt floating around out there. It says Mr. November with Obama's face on it. I should own That's that. That's a reference shirt. to the band. Uh, I've read that. I'm, I'm unaware of that, but that's pretty <laughs> okay. great. That's true. Um, I do know that their newest merch thing, uh, which has become kind of a nickname for the band in general, is Sad Dads. Everyone in merch <laughs> just said Sad Dads on it. That's a good I get one. a shirt or a mug that says that. <laughs> I have enough national merch, but as you, as, uh, yeah. See. How how new is that shirt? You know what tour it's from? I think this is, or was it an internet purchase? It was an internet purchase because I'm that's when you real, really love a band. I'm going to get real nerdy here. I'm part of their fan club. <laughs> you got to be on the, the mailing only, list if you want to. The only, yeah. No, like I I pay <laughs> annually to be part of the Nationals fan club. It's called Cherry Tree, um, which is an EPB oh. skipped over. Yeah, we I was going to say back. that's on here. We can go back today. To at the at the end which would be fitting because about today is is some they do sometimes close with it um but yeah this is from from the fan club nice only band that i pay to be a part of the fan club for is the national that's mostly because it makes it a lot easier to get tickets to see them live yeah if you're that big a fan you want to support them like it's really no different than buying a couple shirts Although you're I, also, I would pay <laughs> a lot of money to a lot of my favorite bands like the National because you kind of get to bypass Ticketmaster. Which is so, like very much worth it at this point. That's money well spent. Yeah. 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 I just heard, I don't want to get too off topic, but I heard, I think it's Brandy Carlisle for the first day of the store she just announced, the first day tickets go on sale is box office only. And then the next day it goes to Ticketmaster. It's kind of cool. Love that. We should. Yeah. Not that great. us three ever really experienced that. We're not old enough. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't really help where I live. There's no like venues that I could run over to the box office at lunch, but I still like you the know, idea. Back in the day, like in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, you could, there were Ticketmaster. I don't know if it was Ticketmaster, but you could like go to brick and mortars like in a mall, like a music store. But have oh, yeah. I remember the mall. I think that is awesome. I think that's, I think we should go back to that. I think that, that was, was cool. temporarily in our time too, like maybe real early 90s. I feel like there was a spot in the mall you could get tickets for things. Early 90s for sure. For most of, uh, we're all around 30 ish, right? Yeah. 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 That, that, that was a thing though, like, like having to go to a box office or go to, a Ticketmaster outlet or go to a yeah. mall where there was like an FYE or something. Fun little story. So when I was 17, I actually went to a record store in the Highlands 
and bought Motley Crue tickets there. They had like a Ticketmaster like connection through the store. So it was, I guess it was still around. We were in high school too. Is there a record store in the Highlands that I don't know of? I think it's like a music lesson place, but they also sold tickets, but they also sold some records, but it wasn't like a record store. So say the only one I know near near in my around where you guys are in in Monmouth County is Jackson Red Bank, which I love. And nothing tops Jacks. No, oh, that's a great one. Record store day is uh next Saturday. Or a week from this Saturday, the twenty second. So I'm wrong. It's like three weeks, but <laughs> two weeks away. Anyway, boxer. <laughs> um yeah this i I knew i had to play fake empire because it's just like their most iconic song for the story i just told and it's a fan favorite and for a million other reasons um elsewhere on the album we do have two other options here um fake empire sticks out because it is the the more piano driven quieter song on this album there's a couple of other quieter ones that are more guitar driven but i would say next up moving on from fake empire we should listen to apartment story which um i'm gonna keep saying might be my favorite song might be my favorite album because i can't i have a lot of trouble picking when it comes to the national but apartment story very 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 much might be my favorite song there's so i would say let's go there next all right, let's do it. No symbols. I didn't hear any symbols. No, nope. but when it picks up, there's symbols, which, okay. which is a trend going on. But yeah, uh, I love this song, and and we haven't we've been harping on how good they are musically. I love the lyrics in this one. I mean, I love the lyrics in all of the songs that I put on this roadmap. But um, this whole painting a picture of, uh, not like agoraphobia. But like this couple arguing, being in love, and and just wanting to stay inside during the winter until it gets nice outside. Like I, I love the picture it paints. I love the stay inside our rosy minded fuzz. Like he he's just got a really good way with words. Um, that coupled with the build up and the entering of the symbols. Um, this is one of like the more story driven songs of theirs, and we're not gonna listen to it because I didn't put it on the roadmap, but. If you like this song, I would really recommend the song before it on the album is called Slow Show. Um, I feel like they're they're almost like siblings, Slow Show and an apartment story. They go right into one another um, on the track listing, but it's also like a similar story about like you feel like it's about the same couple. Um, Slow Show, Slow Show is a little bit more acoustic driven. But I almost always listen to those two like as a tandem, and they're also kind of played live as a tandem a lot. If they play one, they're probably playing the other. Hmm. What I'm liking about them so far is that the instrumentals are are great. There's no question there, and that's enough for me to like be interested in a band. And then if you have that that extra layer of oh, you know, the next time I listen to this, I'm going to pay attention to the lyrics, and those are also good. It just gives you a reason to come back. And that's what I was wondering if I would find with throughout this roadmap. And I feel like I'm finding it because the instruments alone can carry the song. And the fact that you put good lyrics on top is just icing on the cake. I think that's one of the game changers with Boxer. As much as I love Alligator, I feel like the writing is like notably a step up on Boxer. And for the first time, it's it's more personal is his um, wife 
writing at this point or not yet? I remember you mentioned that at the beginning. I believe she begins writing. Yeah, she starts writing on this album and she gets she's just credited on some of these songs but this is the album where she um she starts writing with or matt berninger starts going to her basically for opinions um his wife corinne i'm pretty sure before the national hit it really big and she joined as a pseudo member she was like a writer or editor for the new yorker or for new york magazine so like she knows what she's doing anyway when it comes to words um, and if I recall correctly from the 33 and a third book, Matt will kind of go to her as an, as an editor for lyrics. And it got to the point where she was like, instead of just saying yes or no, she was like, well, why don't you do this instead? Or why don't you try that? And that's kind of how um, she began getting credited on the songs in this album. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just love the, the picture that the story paints. I, I love almost all the lyrics on it like sleep in our clothes and wait for winter to leave um just really really pretty imagery that from here on out the writing is on like an evolved level i think compared to the albums before it and quick note of the instrumentals like i like to do this when i like hear a song for the first time like i'll try to draw a line to like another song i know i feel like i got i'll melt with you vibes on this one a little bit like like that 80s sound of that song a little bit like at least in the beginning and kind of like the undertone of it or was uh, that just me no i do i do kind of hear that and funny enough i heard that song today so it's already it's easy to put it it's together it mind. has that that kind of melody to the vocals at times i love the I fuzzy bass too. The great fuzzy yeah bass. yeah yeah I, I agree with all the above. I love the bass. And I would say, yeah, it has a similar vocal melody to that. And I think what band sings I'll Stop the World and Mount With You? Is that like Human League or one of those 80s bands that I'm forgetting? They were one but hit wonder, I think. It right? was like Lemon something. Is, did you just say that? A modern English. Modern English. Uh, what the one it might I, I, I also I think he, the guy from Modern English has kind of a deeper voice, which is probably what the immediate um, draw in or... or Brett, probably why you thought of them was uh, the vocal delivery is similar. Little Robert Smithy at times too. Yes. Yeah, I know you mentioned that. At the first, okay. I think it's just like that baritone voice, probably. But yeah. Um, back to the map now. Um, hmm. Should we do <laughs> one more off a of box, or I would love to not like a song, but I really have been genuinely liking everything we've listened to you know i i think <laughs> we should go ahead and move on to high violet just because i would feel so bad if the next if like i don't want to do slow show because slow show has got to come before apartment story like it does on the album um but i would just say other highlights for me i mean the whole album of boxer is a highlight but other songs that i really love um mistaken for strangers is probably my favorite drumming song of theirs um that's a great song and fun fact the uh, as i said before the band is two pairs of brothers and then matt berninger they uh, right after boxer in, in between boxer and right before high violet they release a documentary called mistaken for strangers that was directed by matt berninger's brother so it, it continues to be a family affair where matt berninger's brother then now <laughs> also joins the national lore <laughs> as the director for um 
it's like a live concert film, but I would say it's more of like a documentary about their relation, their interesting relationship as brothers and what it's like to have a brother who's like becoming a rock star <laughs> from the director's perspective. Highly recommend it for for people who really love the national. I think Oasis needs to take notes from this band. If this many brothers can get along. Yeah. Seriously though. <laughs> Can't be that, that hard. And oh, oh wait, that's <laughs> the amount of money I would spend to get on a plane and go see Oasis if they got back together for like a one off show of England is embarrassing. I whew, I would spend so much money to go see Oasis live. I love them. Uh, there was a headline the other day. I think it was Liam was just like, if he wants to call me, I'll do it. But yeah, I think it's just no, nonsense. Picking up that phone. No. I'm team Liam, even though <laughs> no one undoubtedly is the more talented one. I, I tried to find out like where it all started, and it seems like they're both just kind of assholes to each other. But yeah, that pretty Liam much seemed to deliberately push buttons a little more from what just the stories I read. But if you want to have me definitely back entertaining, on, I could do a long episode <laughs> about the brother uh, fighting in Oasis. Uh, that would be fun. But yeah, we'll table that. For... That'd be another good roadmap too, because I only know like two other albums. That's yeah, you don't need to know Big much. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it could just, like, we could just we could just do a, a gossip episode where we just talk about the infighting. We don't even have to talk about music. <laughs> just a roadmap to the the relationship. <laughs> a therapy episode for them. You should do you should do a a, a series on music beefs. Headline by Lena. It's a good one. You could uh, see uh, Hyden. I'll take the royalty checks in the mail for that idea for you guys. <laughs> yeah, what's the as long as Steve Hyden doesn't sue us? What's his, the, his rivalry book? Yeah, rivalry. I forgot. I haven't listened to that podcast in a while, but there, that's a great podcast. Oh yeah, shout out Stephen Hyden. He's a great, great, great writer. He recently, semi recently, ranked every single national song, which I would never <laughs> be able to do. Wow. Um, so yeah, for fans of national, go to. Either his Twitter feed, Stephen Hyden's Twitter feed, or I think he writes for Uproxx. You can Google it. Oh, yeah, or you could just Google it for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. <laughs> Google yes, it. Was there. <laughs> All but, right, um, so yeah, the next so album, I, I Violet. Yeah, just one more thing on Boxer. Other yeah. highlights, because I could really talk about this forever. Green Gloves is, is a great song, and... I believe Green Gloves is Matt Berninger's Instagram handle, so clearly he likes the song a lot too. Um, Guest Room, Ada, and another great book ending where Gospel ends the album on a similar note to how Fake Empire opens it, where it's kind of a more orchestral, quieter song for for most of it. Um, but let's uh, let's hit the gas pedal, so to speak. <laughs> Move on to High Violet, which at this point, n- now the pressure's on them. Yeah. Because they're the drama, not the drama, but after the hardship of being uh, a more mellow, straight up indie rock band compared to the other bands in their scene, like the National never had the the partying attached to them the way that band, like structure like a party band, you know, like you could tell by looking at them like everyone in the strokes did you drugs know. all that stuff <laughs> yeah which is really what meet me in the bathroom is about which the national appears in occasionally in that book but it's mostly about the the follies of bands like um interpol and the strokes but moving on to high violet they take a three-year break which 
at that point, I believe is the longest break they've taken between albums. Um, and yeah, it's the first time they have pressure on them so that they have the, the weight of boxer behind them, which I would say in those three years, boxer really, really blows up. Like it's probably when 2010 happens, which is when high violets released boxer is probably on like decade end lists before high violet comes out. So they haven't even made another album yet. And that's how big boxer is. So they go into it with a lot of pressure. Um, once again, we're going to start the roadmap with the opening song, which is another very, very, very prominent song of theirs called Terrible Love. Um, I would say High Violet begins the era of like a more polished sounding, not like overproduced, because I don't think this band's ever overproduced. It's one of the reasons I, I think they're a great band. Because they they kind of stay true to themselves in the studio, and purposely have a lot of say in what's happening in, happening in the studio, um, just because of where they came from of those first two albums, not really doing anything for them, and they don't want to go back there. But let's start with "Terrible Love," which right I would say if you want to focus on something, the opening chords and the effects that are going on in the guitar, awesome, just like stunningly awesome stuff that you're not really used to hearing from them at this point um you don't hear that kind of echoing on guitars on the earlier stuff and you hear it right off the bat with high violet you hear that they've evolved in the opening track all right let's listen to terrible love okay we just listened to terrible love takes an ocean not to break Great what, did guys, what did you guys think of this one? I think it sounds like because I had it on like during work today, and it's like a whole nother experience putting it on with headphones. Like you catch like little things that you won't hear on speakers. I don't know if that's like I know that's like with like every band, but like it's really noticeable here, like with the little effects, the subtleness of a lot of the instruments. Like it was just like a really just, just a pretty song. I mean, I know that's like oversimplifying it, but oh, you're you're spot on. It is like it feels like they're making compositions, like not just like yep. playing songs. Mm -hmm. Like they are really building stuff with with their music, and it's it's great. And Nick, you mentioned when it was paused how like the music then cuts out for that. It takes an ocean not to break, and they let him kind of take the forefront, and just. A lot of like great little decisions like brett was saying and like right before i guess i guess it's the chorus um it's kind of just like that fuzzy bass that we heard in in the last song and it just kind of like builds and builds subtly and then it kicks in and then it cuts out like they, they're just they're doing a lot and it's all like simple in a way to sound very complex I don't know if I'm just it's, talking it's, on my ass right now, but to what I what I hinted at earlier of them like making people wait for uh, yeah, like I don't even know what the chorus really is in this one. There's yeah. like a couple of of options. Um, I would say it's like it's the it's a terrible love, and I'm walking with spiders is the chorus towards the end. But yeah, that's that's a real breathtaking moment when it kind of all peels back. And Matt Berninger is repeating it takes a notion not to break, and then it picks up even more so again. Um, just another example of 
a really great decision to put this where it is on the album, which is this is the first song you hear. Um, I feel like it, it, this is, I, I view this album, High Violet, as kind of a rebirth for them. Um, it was like, a, we're here to stay now after the the first time success of Boxer. This one's kind of even more acclaimed than Boxer. Um, as far as what is aged better, they've both aged really well. But I would say if you're looking at like if a Rolling Stone or or like like one of those magazines did like the best indie rock albums of this century, like you might see High Violet and an album later on this list above Boxer. Um, and I feel like it's because with High Violet, they really do. It's it's almost the first time that they're comfortable in their sound and they're cool experimenting with themselves, uh, which is why they they just sound bigger here. It's it's so poetic too. I'm staring at these lyrics. Like fooler won't follow you. Like, first of all, fooler. Like, what's that? Like, I don't know. Could have said like I'm a fool or you're a like fooler is just like a weird choice. We won't follow you into the red name. Is it a name? I'm very intrigued by this word fool. Maybe like a last name. I don't know. Uh, I think it's just. I feel like it's like you'd be a fool. I feel like it's a made up word. Yeah. Like you're a a trickster. You're a fooler. I won't follow you into the rabbit hole. I said I would, but then I saw your shivered bones. They didn't want me to. It's a terrible love and I'm walking with spiders. Like it's just vague enough that you can like really just like probably think about those four lines for like an hour if you wanted to try and figure out what they're saying. Yeah, I feel like uh, with um, Boxer begins like a difference in their writing, which is why I think they, with every album after Alligator, the, the writing is different. It, it just, it's on another level. And it's why every band, every album after Alligator is more acclaimed than Alligator and the ones before it. And uh, I think this opener is a good example of that for all the reasons you guys just said. And this one says it was just written by Aaron and Matt. Because a lot of the other songs that I've looked at credits say it's the whole band. I mean, I'm sure the whole band was involved, but I never know how seriously to take the Spotify show credits. Uh, I that, hope it's accurate. That makes sense because Matt is is the only one of the pairs of brothers, and then like him and his wife do most of the writing. And Aaron is the one who's like a super producer now, who's buddy buddy with True. Taylor Swift. T Swift. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that sounds accurate. Also, this album cover is really cool. Like, are these all words that are like scribbled there? I don't know if you're looking at it too. It looks like almost like like a vase of flowers, but I feel like it's a bunch of different words in script. Yeah, it is. It is. Love it's to a... Google if someone like figured out a bunch of those words. Yeah, it's um that's a good segue actually, because it does look like a vase of flowers. Um, and I, I think the next song we should listen to. Man, it's so hard to pick on these middle albums that I love so much. I think we should listen to Conversation 16 next, um, which keeps in, because you guys, I'm, I'm picking this one because you guys liked Terrible Love so much. It has a um, a similar, but not like same sounding. It has a similar guitar part to open the song up. Um, it has ridiculous lyrics, similarly, um, some of which, are about flowers but like you just said the album cover looks like so yeah that, that was a good segue let's let's do conversation 16 from high violin next all right here we go
All right, that was conversation 16. I was afraid I'd eat your brains because I'm evil. Drums, man. Drums. Drums pick up. You have that similar um, opening far away, but close up sounding like almost like a tremolo effect on, on the opening chords here. Um, overall, so I could uh, direct the map. What, what did you guys uh, think of this one? I know we kind of talked like when we went off air for a second, but again, just knowing the drums, like that, that was like a big sticking point for you with the band. And like, I didn't really get to dial in on that, like on my first run through the roadmap. And now it's just like, it's like front and center. And it's so cool. Like just listening to what he's doing. Cause like it, it is like, it's not mean like it's easy to, well, not easy, but like you can get tied into drummers, like kind of like John Bonham or like Dave Grohl and just hear them go nuts back there. And he's, doing that but in like a subtle gentle way that's like just as cool as what they do if that makes any sense at all but i don't know i'm just like i'm as we talk through this i'm like starting to like them more and more yeah final working yeah they had like that cool like dance sort of drums that i was talking about earlier to you and um i love the the background like chorus vocals going on in the verses just the like opera style overlay was really cool and then it kind of like fades out for a sec and the drums do like almost this drum roll thing back into the song it happened at least twice that i noticed but it's like exactly what brett said where like he's coming in with a fill but he's not like smashing away it's not overpowering it's just like a gentle like and then it like comes in yeah, yeah I, think I don't know less is more like it's it's just it's really good this is one of my favorite examples. Uh, I'll call it out on, on a later song in a few albums, but the waiting to give the listener the chorus here, like I, I would say the the chorus is is the because I'm evil part, which doesn't you don't hear until more than halfway through the song. So like you have the build up and then it's a lead the silver city to all the silver girls. Um, everything means everything. And then he goes back to the verse and they do that a few times before you get him kind of going back to the alligator days. Cause he's like kind of groaning cause I'm, cause I'm evil. Um, which is just so late in the song to finally <laughs> unleash like what the actual chorus is. And then they go back to it later. It's um, it goes back to this. The compositions are different at this point in on high violet it's like it's like overall really super polished album yeah to speak to the roadmap like no brett was saying like he's like coming around right now as am i and like it's like the songs we started with like with the yelling and the guitars like i already know i like that so to hear this other stuff that they're doing and enjoy it i think is is even better and speaks more to the quality of this band than just the songs and the style of something that I don't really need to be sold on. The fact that I like this song and the last one we listened to and the the di- gentle pianos and just all these different styles they work in, like they keep it interesting, like with every song, which just makes them a good band automatically, whether you're into them musically or not, like they got the skills. Yeah. I feel like they're, and, and on this album more so than others, but between like you were saying, like the added um, like chorus effect of like other people singing, 
that's kind of a first. Uh, I would say before High Violet, like the only voice you're ever hearing is Matt Berniger's. Um, and if you're hearing a melody, it's studio magic where it's him singing over him, like a double track of vocals or him harmonizing with himself in the studio. Because um, not anybody else, uh, n- nobody else really sings in this band live besides him. But this is the first you get of in in Conversation 16, you hear like the background voices in the background choir. Um, it's a thing that it doesn't become a trend, but you hear it again uh, a couple of albums from now, it, it becomes a, a, like a kind of staple of theirs, honestly. So I'm on like the Wikipedia page for this album and like apparently a music critic like put into words that I was trying to say before. It's beautifully subtle is like what this album is pretty much. I would say that's a great description. Yeah. Of- I think you did say that, Brett. Most of you are the music critic yeah. who gave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely subtle without sounding plain. Yeah, it, masterclass it, it, in subtle emotional shading. Shading. Props That's to that. Nice. Yeah. The side of the pencil. I just feel like this album be- begins the, the point for me in listening to their discography where it's like, it sounds so sophisticated, the music. But it, they're still just like an indie rock band, though. Does that make sense? No, it does. Like it sounds like there's like thirty people playing on this album, where it's really for the most part just these five guys. They're the subtle Slipknot. Uh, that would be pretty cool if the National <laughs> wore the mask when they perform live, like Slipknot. Uh, did we lose you? <laughs> There's like dressed up as zombies talking about eating brains. It adds up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have some artwork around the uh they have some some like Halloween themed artwork at this point around conversation 16 and that lyric, especially. Um, so where do we go from here? It looks like they have a, oh man, a three-year break. Do do we want to leave High Violet? Um, yeah, let's let's leave high violet which if you're liking this at this point listeners and and both of you i would say other highlights here blood buzz ohio is by far the most played song on this album so i'm getting real nerdy here i'm going i'm going deep cuts instead of the singles at this point blood buzz ohio is one of their most popular songs i recommend if you like the this what you've heard so far to listen to it um i would also point out England and also the closer Vanderlyle Vanderlyle Crybaby Geeks um is just a for the third straight album them having knowing how to open and close an album Vanderlyle Crybaby Geeks is what they closed most shows with at this point um it's a really cool live thing at the end of their shows if they're closing with Vanderlyle which by the way is a made up word Matt Berner has gone on record saying he he wanted to make a word up, so he made that word up for the for specifically for Vanderlyle Crime Weeks. And when they play it live, when they close shows with it, they'll encore, then they'll come out and they're um, they'll unplug their instruments. So it'll be the Desner brothers on acoustics and Matt Berniger just singing really loud without a microphone at the crowd. Um and it's kind of this Whoa. giant sing along that I highly recommend. Um everyone look up on YouTube 
Uh, I would well, say that's pretty cool. What kind of venues start- do they play? Like if he's unplugging his mic, like is it club um, venues? At this point, around High Violet, probably still. Um, present day, they're playing Madison Square Garden later this summer. Damn, with Patty Smith, which is insane. But I recently saw them in the beginning of the winter at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester. They played, which is a, like a small venue for them. That's like a small club. And they did the unplugging thing. And yeah, it was nice, like a hair on the back of your neck standing up kind of moment. Um, but I've seen them do it at bigger venues, too. I, I, I'm fairly positive. The first time I ever saw the National was actually in the neighborhood I live in right now in Forest Hills, Queens. They played it at the tennis stadium at Forest Hill Stadium. I would say that it fits between like ten to 20,000 people. And yeah, they unplugged and just you, if you were close, you to hear it. But yeah, but the whole crowd is going on with it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want us to listen to it because it's a super quiet song and I don't want you to get distracted by how different it is from, from the road we're on right now with the other songs I've picked. But uh, apologies for Vanderlaar Crybaby Geeks for me going on like a five minute tangent and then (laughs) not not listening to it. But I would say, yeah, England, Vanderlyle, and Blood Buzz are the other highlights for me um, from this album. Blood Buzz is, is like Fake Empire. Blood Buzz might be a song that you know offhand and you just don't know it's a nationalist. Hmm. Has he ever broken out a megaphone like Scott Whelan for Vanderlyle? Uh, not, not in my experience, no. <laughs> that was, oh, man. Rest in peace, Scott Weiland. That, uh, that was one of my favorite things about it, about like watching old videos of them performing live is when he he does that for like Dead and Bloated. Oh, man. But we, we can't talk about SDP right now because this will be like a five-hour episode. <laughs> if I, <get laughs> I sucked up a pilot obsession. That, that would be another good roadmap to add to the list. <laughs> Let's keep it growing. Uh, is so, it time to get into trouble? Yeah, let's... um. <laughs> Let's Nailed jump it. ahead to. It'll find you. <laughs> so they they take a th- they take a three year break here between I Violet and Trouble Will Find Me. So just kind of to recap, Boxer is the one that that is like okay, this band is here to stay. They followed up with High Violet, which is them kind of experimenting into being a more polished indie rock band. Um, but also High Violet, the reviews for High Violet are like, oh man, th- this band is becoming like one of America's best indie rock bands. And then they take a three-year break and Trouble Will Find Me, I would say solidifies them in 2013 as like on the Mount Rushmore of American indie rock bands of this generation, so to speak. Um, that is how highly regarded Trouble Will Find Me is. It's a lot of national fans that like them a, a ton like I do would say this is their best album. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the first time they're nominated for a Grammy is for Trouble Will Find Me. Um, it You could hear the continued growth of his songwriting and also then the experiment and, and jump in, in, in sophistication you hear from Boxer to High Violet is like threefold with Trouble Will Find Me as far as how it's produced 
and then the song structures. So let's jump right into it. And I, uh, okay, th- this is not the opener. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, I thought it was the opener, but it's not. Um, we're going to start with, would, uh, let's start with Don't Swallow the Cap. All right, let's do it. I'll let swallow the cap. Don't swallow the cap. All right, fine. If only there was a song I could have warned me. Could have choked. All right. That was. Hmm. Thoughts? I hope that's a, a good hmm. Hmm. I was hanging on the lyrics with this one. Like more so than the earlier track. I feel like, well, as you've gone on and explored the lyrics more, like I feel like now I'm digging in and I want to see what he's saying. And like, there's so many cool things going on in this one. Yeah, this feels like, know... very lyric based. Sorry, yeah. it's kind it's of okay. wordy. It's kind of more wordy and lyric heavy than a lot of their other songs, I'd say. Yeah, I think this one kind of lost me a little just because I felt like it was like. I'm sorry, Nick, because I know you like this band. It Breaking sounded like it felt like the same thing was just going on for the entire song. Musically, I I won't agree with you, but I I understand why you could like you, it kind of gets stagnant musically, um, especially for a band that musically is so kind of all over the place in a single song like they are. Um, I agree with what Brett said that this is more of a lyric one for me. Um, you once again they're doing the they're holding off to unleash the chorus until like three minutes into this which is when you hear him saying in the background don't swallow the cap pat yourself on the back um what what was your guys take on the play let it be or never mind at the end of the chorus Um, my take has always been just based off of like how they sound and how they are as a band, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the let it be is more of a replacements reference than a Beatles reference. Oh, I could see that. My it would mind go well with, it would go well with the choice between that and Nirvana. Yeah. Cause Beatles and Nirvana are pretty polar opposite. So. Yeah. I mean, not polar the, opposites. So definitely opposites. I don't know the replacement song very well but the play let it great album great album great album all right i'll listen to it um but play let it be followed by pat yourself on the back the pat yourself on the back leads me to think it's a beatles reference because that's a song that's very like oh like we don't need like possessions and all this stuff like just get along and love each other like pat yourself on the back for being such a good person and listening to let it be for speaking words of wisdom yeah i mean he also <laughs> proceeds it by saying if you want to see me cry play let it be um oh true like the beatles one being a little <laughs> bit more emotional but then the pat yourself on the back i could see being like a, oh you know who the replacements are like you're true. cool pat yourself on the so- back so I'm like, I love cool. the double meaning behind that one. I'm usually <laughs> not a fan of of bands calling out other bands or other songs or other albums in their own songs, like hard songs. <laughs> that, that's that, that you know that's you caught me lying because I do love hard songs on the Red album, on the album. That was the first song I heard do it though, so it gets it's allowed. As far as I'm concerned, that song invented referencing other songs. <laughs> And we're back to talking Weezer with Nick Parker. 
No. Couldn't the escape it. There it is. There it is. He's putting the W He's being a troublemaker right now. <laughs> so we're kind of at a fork in the road. I'm going to keep going with the road metaphors. Yes. How Brett kind of liked this one, but Nick was not as crazy about it. So not as crazy. No. Um, let, let me just say another highlight of mine is this is a really great opener. They, they, these days tend to open with this one. I don't know what they're going to do because they have a new album coming out and then they're touring this summer. So I imagine it might, it might be opening with a newer song. This is an awesome opener. Um, and, and one of my favorite parts uh, lyrically and, and to see them live and on this album in general is the, when they ask, what do I see? I say a bright, white, beautiful heaven hanging over me live. That's like really powerful. And Matt Berninger is like punching the mic while he does it. It's really, really nice. awesome. Lyrics uh, to know if seeing them live that comes up on every one of these is there's certain parts of songs. That's like the fans know it's a good one to know. I did um, like, I like yourself the, in the back for that one. They used like, thank you, Brett. <laughs> thank you. Dead serious. Um, I did like this, like for the piano, it felt like they were using like maybe a keyboard or some sort of synth that had like that Tony muddy feel or yeah. I don't know if muddy's exactly what I'm going for, but cause usually all the piano has felt like it was just like a grand piano. From what we've listened to, at least, so that was cool. Um, I, I do want to mention this because I, I just confirmed it with uh, two seconds of me googling. So, "Don't Swallow the Cap" is, I'm fairly positive, a reference to to the playwright Tennessee Williams, whose cause of death was he he choked on the bottle cap and. They, um, what song is it? The National talks about Tennessee Williams on an earlier song on an earlier album. So clearly, oh. Tennessee Williams. It's a callback. And, yeah, it is a callback. Um, trying to remember what song it is. I believe it's on Boxer. They they mention uh, Tennessee Williams and his death, but they don't get into how Tennessee Williams died. But now this one, they talk about don't swallow the cap, but they don't actually call out Tennessee Williams. Interesting. He's there, Bukowski. That is to modest mass. Modest mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. It was on uh, alligator. So a song we didn't listen to on alligator called city middle. Um, the lyric is, I think I'm like Tennessee Williams. I wait for the click. I wait, but it doesn't kick in. So the this is going back to a reference to Alligator, which is multiple albums ago at this point, and kind of in their rear view because they, like we went over, reinvented themselves with Boxer, not Alligator. So this is like a deep callback to a writing reference from Alligator. Interesting. What should we do next? Uh so according to this playlist, we have five songs left. I don't think we're going to listen to all of them, but I'm taking it personal that Nick didn't like that one. So we're going to now stick with Trouble Will Find Me <laughs> and we're going to head. I'm sorry. We're going we're to do Sea of Love next, which is also from Trouble Will Find Me. Sea of Love. All right. So let's hit it. All right. That was Sea of Love. What did Harvard teach us? Marco's dragging us in. 
I like this one more than the last one. All right, good, good. So I agree with that. Yeah, we're back on for both of you. Okay, it felt like cool. more of a shapely song, where the last one just felt like a big rectangle. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it, but so what? What has you back in because of of this song? Um, what about this song? Instrumentally, it was it was different throughout, or like. Hold on, I'm I'm caught up at the end now, so I'm trying to remember how it started. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just giving a little play right here. It built well, which they we know they can do, and I love he, the dr- drummer does this a lot with that drum roll, pull it back, drum roll, pull it back. Like is is a really cool style that he really likes to dig into. Um, I don't know. I just felt this like this song had had more going on if i wanted to I just like put it really like, simply this is one of their more alligatory later period national songs um not that this could be on alligator, but it has that energy that they cut to me they kind of left behind with boxer like the, the to me this this has like the the i know what this isn't on the roadmap but nick you mentioned that you listened to it this kind of has energy like abel on alligator yeah uh, does feel like does remind me of those songs it, i can definitely see that comparison in, it's definitely why it's one of my favorites from from trouble will find me is that it's one of these rockers that that i feel like fans of the older stuff will appreciate and also something i, I just remembered that i'd said when we were recording was though they build up in the song and then they just kind of almost cut out the instrumentals or drop them completely and there was that really cool key change that just like expected the guitars to like stay on one way and then it kind of like dropped lower mm-hmm. just things like that that kind of like make you double take i always yeah, love music yeah, for sure i'm also a sucker for when bands don't have a title track on the album but the name of the album is said in a song yeah i'm i'm a big fan of of the um when it gets quieter that if i stay here trouble will find me Red smirking. <laughs> Some movement behind Parka. Uh, uh, but yeah, my um, favorite part was the "If I Stay Here" part too, because I feel like it kind of reminded me of like trailer trash a little bit. Like when it slows down, it's like, "Sorry if I dissed you." Yeah. Or I yeah, forgot like the line. Like it's kind of like, it's kind of like that part. Yeah. Like how they both pause in both parts of those songs, and then like the song kicks in from there. Drawing that again, drawing that line back to Modest Mouse, like we said. Yeah, I, I agree that they're they're similar bands. Um, Brett, I've wanted to to make this joke. When he starts yelling about Harvard, did you think about Ryan Fitzpatrick? I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you too well, man. Uh, I, I, I never imagine you him like, throwing picks every week. Yeah, yeah. and you being like, "What did Harvard teach you, Ryan Fitzpatrick?" <laughs> Drag the Jets down. <laughs> Because the announcers never bring that up enough that he went to Harvard. No, no. Or if they play, it's that if a player goes to Harvard or, on the field <laughs> or plays uh, plays lacrosse, those are the two things that announcers love to sit on. They played a, a different sport or went to Harvard. That's all that gets brought up. One more note about this song is uh, 
this is another if you're going to see them live you should know this song pretty well um because when they play it i wouldn't say they play that this is like a live staple or they play it every night but when they do like the the yelling is more intense live in the outro than it is on the record nice so it's a cool experience to see live um so now the question is do we stay with trouble or find me you know what for the sake of time because i know we've been going on for a long time at this point <laughs> Let's skip ahead to Sleep Well Beast because I'm very curious of, of Brett's thoughts on Sleep I'm well excited Beast. to talk about this. You liked it. Um, just before we leave, Trouble Will Find Me. Um, the most popular song on this one, by a long shot, according to Spotify, is I Need My Girl, which is a quieter one and probably another one that you may have heard in the wild in a grocery store or something because it's <laughs> that popular of a song. Um Graceless is a song they they played SNL around this album. Um and they played Graceless and it's one of their better TV performances that you could find on YouTube. Um and to call out one more, I would say Pink Rabbits is a is a deep cut that is like a beloved fan favorite. Um not a single, I don't think not that popular among non-national fans, but like national nerds would point to Pink Rabbits as like a top five national song. I don't. I think it's a great song. It's not like I'm at Mount Rushmore of national songs, but I'd be remiss to not mention Pink Rabbits because that's a real beloved one for the diehards on this album. It's their Pink Triangle. Uh, d- different subject matter, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the national never gets nearly as cringy as uh as Pinkerton does. But with all that said, I, I would say Trouble Will Find Me really, really solidified them as like this is one of the best indie rock bands in America, and they're like very much here to stay, which is at this point two albums after years after Boxer, but two full lengths after Boxer. Um, so let's move on to 2017's Sleep Well Beast. So that's a four-year gap between Ooh. Trouble Will Find Me and Sleep Well Beast, which... Do they tour in these gaps? Or is it like maybe a year tour and then a little break? Like, are they disappearing during these gaps? Or do they still have a presence out there? So I can't really speak for... Because like I said, I got into them around Trouble Will Find Me. I mean, I oh, boxers true. pulled me in, but I got into them around Trouble Will Find Me which uh, they toured around trouble will find me and then they took they took time off before sleep old beast and since sleep old beast it's been they tour around albums and then once the album cycles over yeah they just kind of take a break for a while well, it sounds like they do other stuff too so it's not like yeah i mean he's not uh, the desner brother is not producing taylor Swift at this point but he's uh, big red machine is a band that he started and still has with justin vernon from bonnie Vare. Um, which is probably a few years away at this point, but um, let's jump at the Sleep Well Beast, which is 2017. Probably my favorite album cover of theirs, which is a photo of it's really cool where Taylor Swift, Swift would later record Folklore and Evermore. Oh. Um, that's Fun their, fact. That's oh, really? Aaron Desner's uh, Long Pond Studio in upstate New York, or the Hudson Valley. I don't want to offend people who are true upstaters who would say the Hudson Valley <laughs> is actually upstate New York, but somewhere in the Hudson Valley, north of Westchester. Um, 
uh, you could see the the band through the recording studio window on this tiny little house silhouette. Um, I think the album cover gives you a hint at what the album's going to sound like, which is it's kind of a, a turn towards darkness more so than their other ones are. I think to say it They're looks also- kind of bleak. Yeah, yeah, which is always a theme in their lyrics since day one. But I think sonically in this one, it's almost like a rebirth again. Where When I talked about Boxer, I said that was them solidifying their sound for that era. And I feel like that sound goes through Trouble Will Find Me. And I'm not going to say they reinvent themselves because, once again, they're not Radiohead. But with Sleepwell Beast, you know, they're... They're kind of you get the introduction of drum machines and you get more synthesizers and you also kind of get the Desner brothers, Desner brothers, like turning the amps up and starting to solo and create more riff heavy stuff. Um, so with that being said, let's start with the system. Uh, only dreams and darkness. Obviously, all right, let's listen to it. All right, they found the distortion setting on their amp. Guitars let I mean, loose a little bit there. Yeah, no, no doubt we're gonna like that. I love when a solo starts with the main riff and then he just builds from there, kind of like tricks you a little bit. You don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Guitar-driven song. There was a solo. Always gonna like that. Yeah, it's kind of it's about time that they let uh, the the Desner brothers let themselves kind of show off a little bit because they're really good guitar players. And this is the album where I think it's most obvious that they really, really, really know how to play guitar. Um, It snuck up on you, too, because like you think they're just doing like the main riff there and then it just starts to soar from there. Yeah, even earlier when. In the beginning of the verse, like the guitar is in front, but it's still a national song. So you still have that little piano melody behind the guitar. Yeah, it's just like a quick riff popping in and out. And then it does get to get to holding down the four. Yeah. This is another great one live um, for the the yelling of I I can't explain it. Um, Oh, that's what. You mentioned live like i think you said when this album came out it wasn't you weren't like super psyched right away but i think no, if you were to if that... you were to look at their catalog and then craft live sets it sounds like having songs like this to pull from will be like really good for them this is like so system only dreams and total darkness is probably one of two or three they pull from this album on any given night um and i think when i first heard this i was so excited when it came out because i jumped on board in like 2013 after trouble will find me came out so this was like my first experience i was like they're my favorite band i can't wait for this new release um and i wasn't crazy about it when i first heard it this is more than anything else in their catalog this has grown on me more than anything else um i just wasn't expecting this kind of album from them at this point with i'm not going to say the lean on technology but like you guys feel the vibes are different, right? It's not just me. The drums aren't there like they were, at least on like this one. Yeah. And it took me a while, but like I'm okay with the the like the perfection of, of the earlier drum stuff if it's gonna be replaced by 
them plugging the guitars in and turn the amps up. It sounds like they cut that keyboard too from uh, Trouble Will Find Me, like that mm-hmm. same kind of tone. And the guitars are like a constant, like all throughout this album. Um, not necessarily. It's it's a national album, so there's still a lot of piano going on. Um, but yeah, there's it, this is their most. This is the collection of song that songs that's more riff driven than any other release of theirs. I would say. I'm just looking at the track listing. I think for roadmap purposes and for time purposes, we're gonna we're gonna leave Sleep Well Beast here, which. Brett, I'm sorry because I know you said you like this one a lot. I did like um, that one. Yeah. For calling out other ones, I, I put Day I Die on, on the playlist I sent you guys, right? Yeah, that that one was another one that kind of like had like edge guitar vibes. I know, like going back to like my YouTube mentioned before, but that's kind of what I picked up on like the tone he was using there. For sure, I, I would say other highlights on this album are, are Day I Die because it it once again has a really good guitar solo, which is not something you're getting in every national song. Um, Corinne at the liquor store, which Corinne is, is, is Matt Berninger's co-writer. That's his wife. That's a great song. Uh, dark side of the gym is, is one of their prettier ballads and also one of their better music videos. Um, and I also like the quieter opener. Nobody else will be there, which is not as riff driven. So I'm, I don't know if I'd recommend you guys listen to it because <laughs> I don't want to get you off the road again, but, um, yeah, Sleepball Beast is has grown on me more than anything else I've ever heard of from them. It is now one of my favorites. Um, I would say the final stop on this uh, two plus hour journey, wow, uh, should be let, let's jump ahead to I Am Easy to Find, which is their release after Sleepball Beast. It came in 2019. I don't see that one. No, I'm just being dumb. Sorry, Nick. Had to get one more in. This is a really long album. This is, uh, even though it's an hour and three minutes, it's 16 different songs, which is a lot for them. Um, I would say this is, up until this point, including 2019, this is their most recent album. And this is probably the one I go back to least besides the first two besides the self-titled which like i said doesn't really exist and uh, i listen to this more than sad songs for dirty lovers but not by much this is not one of my top ones uh they're just experimenting a lot which i'm not against bands experimenting but it's just not the kind of experimentation that i appreciate it's like we have different singers coming in now there's like a rotation of um of other singers on this album and as someone who loves matt's voice I'm not as crazy about it, but there is one song on here that is one of my favorite national songs. It's called Rylan. It's the third for blast. And uh, going back to my feelings on the album, this stands out to me because it was actually written for high violet and didn't make the cut for high violet because it didn't have words with it when they went into the studio and they were in a time crunch for high violet. So they revisited this leftover song for High Violet, completed it, and threw it on here. And it's my favorite song on I Am Easy to Find, and it's called Rylan. All right. Let's listen. All right. This... All right. That was Rylan. Um, yeah. Initial thoughts. You were right. There are other vocalists here. Wasn't expecting that. At first, she was singing with Matt, and then it was 
it was he was gone um the drums were doing that great drum thing that i like with the rolls simplest, and the stop simplest drumming pattern <laughs> yeah and got a bunch of violin which always makes me happy when i hear in these songs so i was very excited for that yeah but did you think of that riff towards the end like uh almost coming from back to front yeah the song love that yeah um, sounds think- like a like a riff that could be on the prior album like a sleep well beast-esque riff. yeah it goes back to the subtlety we were talking about earlier how it's just like it's not front and center but it's very important to the song Brett, what did you think i think i'm pretty aligned with both of you on this one i'd say for the most part i think i did like it like less than sleep well beast stuff but there was enough going on here and i like the return of the drums like nick said yeah that's uh, um a, a little bit few and far between on this album and like i said this is their most recent release from 2019 so they have a new album coming out later this month but i'm very curious to see uh what direction they're heading in um for the roadmap purposes we've uh we've reached the end here since the lyrics I, in this like, are just before we get off rylan a lot of interesting lyrics like i feel like you could spend a lot of time just trying to dissect these but yeah i mean i I love the underwater you're almost free is a great one don't you want to be popular culture is it easy to keep quiet like i don't know i feel like i could think about this a bunch because he's saying a lot of things cryptically there's a little bit of hell in everyone yeah all the little all the little kids are high and hazy everybody's got nowhere to go eat your pearls on sunday morning what does that mean so like you're so rich that you have jewelry you don't have cereal (laughs) (laughs) quick that's the the quick interpretation after two hours of podcasting (laughs) that comes after like a california line so i'm guessing it's something to do with yeah, Maybe California's California? California's rotten. Dress light blue to be forgotten. Yeah, just classic, uh, super depressing national <laughs> Um. Yeah, I, I would say that yeah. this is this is not my favorite album of theirs, but I, I, it's still a national album. Like it has very very high highs for me. Um, and yeah, like I was saying, I'm very interested to see what their their next one's gonna sound like in a few weeks um i didn't want to include any of the new singles just because we don't have the whole picture like we don't know yeah, what that's the, fair. a lot of the entire album is gonna be like so totally cool with that As overall, my opinion guys, on uh, <laughs> what do you guys think of the national now that we've reached the end here uh i think i'm listening offline or are you gonna lie to me and say you liked it and then never listen to them again no i i'm gonna listen to boxer and high violet like if I might spend all of tomorrow listening to the Meteora tapes, but I'm definitely going to listen to Boxer and High Violet within the next week. Yeah, I got to explore High Violet more because I know like Alligator, I like Boxer, I know I like, but these later ones I really want to dive into. Like, I do want to listen to the rest of Sleepball Beast, High Violet, and then Trouble Will Find Me. So I'll probably just work my way up from High Violet, honestly. That's a. So I'm, I'm glad this this uh this landed with you guys. I I hope that the next time we speak, 
you're both like, oh my god, I love the National Navigator <laughs> Roadmap episode that we had you on for. Now we got to go see them. I mean, if I if I had to predict, you got it money. For They're myself. not that cheap of a band to see anymore. That's the, uh, the, the very few complaints I have about the National. <laughs> like tale, is, tale is old as time. Yeah, no one's cheap fun. anymore. Yeah, no, they're playing Garden, so it's gonna cost. Oh, forget it. Yeah. yeah, I'm waiting. I'm gonna do the old wait till like a day before the show and check stuff up for that. Yeah, that's a good plan, especially because you live close enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of live with. I could do that same thing, but it's definitely easier for you. I'm excited to listen to Boxer, though. I think of all the ones we've listened to, for some reason, like that one seemed to stick out. Yeah, to me. it's. It's the most, for lack of a better word, like it's just a special album. It it just is like it's, it's like a moment in time. Like going back to that early mid mid to early two thousands, like the end of the, the beginning of the twenty tens, like that. That album really encapsulates that time period well for me. And I've read reviews around when it came out too, and also like retrospectives about it. And yeah, but Boxer, I would say, is there their prettiest and their most special release to date. So it's my favorite. Um, I, I find it interesting that that's the one you want to go back to, because I know you said you like the louder stuff and the more guitar driven stuff. And I would say boxer is um, one of the more piano driven ones, but definitely report back and let me know uh, how both of your respective national journeys are going. Definitely. I'm glad we have like a light couple of release weeks coming up. And then we have new national at the end of the month. Yeah, it's so a great time. You kind of just stay in the tub with them, pretty much. Absolutely. It'll be easy to find, and we'll sleep well. Uh, hopefully there's no alligators <laughs> in the tub. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much, as always. This, These are always so fun. Um, this, this was great. You did a great job. I was very skeptical going in, and now I'm... I'm literally looking forward to listening to this album and more of their music. So I think you did a great job. Whether people are like us or people are already fans, I think it was a really fun uh, drive down the road with you, respecting all the signs and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. I want to echo that too. Yeah. Just because, like, I feel like if we didn't have this conversation, like, there's a good chance I might have, like, listened to a couple of these albums and then maybe not come back to them after like one listen but like talking to you about it and kind of learning like kind of what's underneath the surface with a lot of these and especially like lyrically and with the drums and everything like I've, i'm like really like nick said i'm excited to go back and listen to this now like with more context and i feel like it hits more when you have context with some bands for yeah. sure and they're overall they're a band if you talk to people who really love them like yeah they grow on people um i know one of my good friends wasn't as crazy about sleep old beast when it came out now it's their favorite album um i don't know if i see that happening with me with i am easy to find but it's it's tough like i i stand by boxer being their best release and and the most special and my favorite album of theirs but man that, that second place slot changes on like a monthly basis like it's i've been listening to this band for a long time now and it's i hear new and different angles of things every time i put on a record of theirs so Thanks for having band me on. There. That's great. Thanks for having well, me on. And, uh, I look forward to uh, whatever assignment you're going to throw at me next. Hopefully <laughs> one like this and not one like the prior Weezer project. <laughs> we can all do Craig Finn impersonations next time. 
Uh, all right, Nick. Thank you. Sleep well, beast. We love you. <laughs>